Pastor Elio is going to come in just a few minutes to open up God's Word from Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, and I'm going to be reading that section of God's Word. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged with the measure you use. It will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. This is one of the most common passages and well-known in the Bible, but do not judge, or you too will be judged is also one of the most misunderstood words of Jesus. Some people understand it as a, as a prohibition to judge others, as a tool to attempt to silence their critics, interpreting, as, interpreting it as you don't have to write to tell me that I'm wrong. People tell us if we are Christians, we can tell that some people's behavior is wrong or sinful. It is common that Christians are accused of being judgmental or intolerant when they speak against sin. But did really Jesus prohibit us to make judgments? Some people would say, yes, that's exactly what Jesus said. Do not judge. While it is true that Jesus used those words, do not judge, he said more than that when he used those words. If my children had the responsibility to clean the house on Saturdays, and on a Saturday I'm working in a project and I have my tools and my supplies, and suddenly I have to leave the house and I tell my kids, don't touch anything. And I go, and at night when I come back, and I realize that my kids have not done anything, and I ask them, what happened? And if they respond, you said, don't, don't touch anything. <laughs> I know that I said those exact words, but I would know that they are misinterpreting what I said. So do not judge doesn't mean that we are unable to recognize and determine if some actions are sinful or not. It's not a prohibition to judge. Jesus asks us to make judgments. Actually, in the next verse, after the passage that Pastor Mike just read, Jesus said, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. Jesus is calling us to make a judgment to determine if we should give some people or trust some people with what is sacred. And this is not the only place in the scriptures where Jesus asks us to make judgments. Actually, Jesus commands us to judge in John 7:24. He says, stop judging, sounds pretty similar, by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. So Jesus commands us to make judgments, to distinguish between what is right and what is wrong, 
to know what is sin and what is not. We are to judge, but we have to judge correctly. And this is the whole idea in this passage of Matthew 7. So we are called to judge, but we are to do it correctly. And to do that, we have to follow Jesus' instructions. But making judgments in these days is not popular. One reason that we hesitate to make judgments is because we like to be liked. At least I do. We don't want to be perceived as judgmental or intolerant. Because of that, many times we're tempted to compromise with the culture and accommodate ourselves to the values of this world. So we interpret this passage as erroneously, don't judge, as an opportunity to never say anything to anyone that might offend them. Now, there is the other extreme, people who don't care and they just say whatever comes to mind, no matter who they offend. They see themselves as champions of the truth and are going to be honest and tell people like it is. There are some that seems that they enjoy bringing people's faults and sins to rub them in. But Jesus in this passage is addressing both wrong types of judgment. The one who is unwilling to say anything out of convenience and the insensitive champion of truth that really is self-righteous. Let's see what this passage says. The primary concern in the passage is what we do. This passage is not about don't, don't judge me. It's about how I judge others. Verse 2 says, For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus is not saying don't judge, but when you judge, be very careful. You have to judge correctly. How can we make good judgments? Just like when we take a picture, I, I don't know if it happened to you, but it happened to me that I want to take a picture and part of my finger is in the lens, or is dirty, or if, it, if there is water, the picture won't be clear. So the first thing that we need to do is to clear the lens. Verse 3, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? So we have to start determining if the lens is clear and clean. You need to take the picture you need to make a judgment to distinguish between what is good and what is evil, between clean or dirty. Sin contaminates, sin pollutes, sin damages, sin destroys, sin dishonors God and brings death. It is important to make judgments and determine what is sin in order to remove it. From others, not yet. The warning is that before we look at somebody else's eye, we need to look first at our own eye. The reason is because we have the tendency to be severe with others and lenient with ourselves. It is said that two judges living in a small town in upstate New York, they got cited for speeding, both in the same day. 
Rather than to call the state Supreme Court for a visiting judge, they agreed to hear each other's case. The first judge, Judge Thompson, took the bench while the second judge, Judge Morris, stood at the defendant's table and admitted his guilt. Judge Thompson immediately suspended both, the fine and the cost. Then they switched places. Judge Thompson admitted his fault for speeding, and then Judge Morris immediately fined him $250 and ordered him to pay court costs. Judge Thompson was furious and said, I suspended you the fine and the cost, and you throw the book at me. Judge Morris looked at him and replied, I know, but this is the second such case that we hear today, and someone <laughs> has to be tough with all this speeding. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? It is easy to condemn others and justify ourselves. Have you ever gotten upset with someone in your household because they misplaced the keys, the car keys or the house keys, and you go around telling everybody how irresponsible they are, they always losing things, not putting them back where they belong, to half an hour later filling them in your own pocket? <laughs> we need to examine ourselves. Why? Because we, once we have examined ourselves honestly, we could see our faults, our shortcomings, and imperfections that will make us humble enough to approach our brother. When we are honest with ourselves and when we are open to God's scrutiny and his word, we'll always get to the conclusion that there is a plank in our own eye. I remember sitting in a counseling office across this man who was a Casanova. He was devastated because his wife was about to divorce him. Because of his charm, he had gotten away with everything. He assumed that his wife was okay with his lifestyle. He had always been the same, but his years of adventure had ended and he was shocked. How can I help? How can you feel compassion for him? If you hear the stories of his infidelities, it was awful. But he needed help. But he also needed to know how his actions were utterly sinful. How can you and I help people who need to clear their eye? Jesus said, look first at your own eye. That asked that afternoon, I got to the conclusion that looking into my own heart, if I left, if left unchecked, I'm as capable as he is to sin in the same way. My eye had a plank too. The problem is that we don't really look into our own heart. We can easily spot other people who are resentful, other people who are arrogant, other people who are sour, other people who are gossips, and we talk about how difficult they are. But we harbor resentment for years. Everybody knows it, but we deny it. We don't see ourselves as resentful because our anger is justified. Someone really wronged us. But if we think we have done exactly the same things to others, but we justify our anger 
because it's us, but the same things to others, we think that they are just so sensitive, getting offended. I mentioned this story before, but I'll repeat it. I nicknamed one of my kids Viborita, which means little serpent. <laughs> it's not what you think. <laughs> it's because just like serpents leave their skin, I could see in this room the trail of clothes. <laughs> if you would ask me, do you ever leave clothes on the floor? I would categorically tell you, of course not. But one day, this child came to my room and called me Viborita <laughs> and showed me my clothes that were left on the floor. We are blind to our own failures. We deny the evidence. We are so willingly blind to our sins. We can see how horrible our neighbor is, how insensitive our spouse is, how irresponsible our children are, and what a sinner so-and-so is. I'm judging without really looking into my sinful heart. That's what the Apostle Paul said. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. You might think, I would never do this or that. I will never act like that. But in given circumstances, if left unchecked, if we leave God's hand, we are capable to sin in the same ways that the people we criticize. Maybe not in the same areas, but as bad in the ones that we struggle with. Proverbs says, who can say, I have kept my heart pure. I am clean and without sin. And the answer is simple, no one. Until we are convicted from our own sinfulness, looking our, at our own eye and to the point that this leads us to repentance, repentance from our sins, repentance for taking so long to recognize them, repentance for taking so long to address it and asking for forgiveness to God. Until then, we won't be ready to look at somebody else's eye. Not that we need to be perfect because perfection is not required. What it is asked of us is to be able to see the log in our own eye, to clear it, recognizing our sins and repenting from them. Otherwise, we will be, in Jesus' own words, hypocrites. Verse 5, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. When we acknowledge our sin, and we experience the grace, the love, and the patience of God for forgiving our sins, we'll have the right attitude to look into somebody else's eye. Now, after hearing all the implications in order to be able to look at somebody else's eye, some people might conclude, forget about it. I better won't get into this judging right. It requires too much of me. It requires to look into my own heart. No thanks. 
And that's the other wrong interpretation of this passage. Some people understand, do not judge, or you too will be judged as, if I don't judge, then I'm free. If I let people alone, I'll be left alone. Don't judge, and you will not be judged. Why get into so much trouble? L live and let live. That is very convenient, but that's not what this passage is teaching. As Christians, we are called to love. And if someone has a speck in his eye, love demands for you and for me to help that person to clear his eye. The mark of a Christian is love. Real love is more than fuzzy feelings. Love, besides feelings, also includes to do and to give for the benefit of others. Besides, you don't have to clear everybody's eye or every eye of every person you encounter. You are not responsible to clean everybody's eyes. This is a family matter. Notice that the passage says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? The church is such a place where we relate to each other as brothers and sisters. We are to love each other enough to address each other's sins. The instruction is repeated by the Apostle Paul to the Church of the Galatians. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. If we see a speck of sawdust in our brother's eye, love demands us to help. And the reason to help is to remove this, the speck, not to be critical, not to put the person down, not to make fun of him, not to scold him because he has it, but to clear his eye because we love. We must have the well-being of the other person in mind. Is it going to be fun? No. Those who have kids know when, when they have something in their eye, it's not going to be fun, but needs to be done. Hear a word if you are the one being looked at. If someone took the risk to point something out to you, remember what Proverbs says. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Don't be defensive. Listen, the fact that someone is showing concern is really important because Proverbs says also, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Now back to the person looking at somebody else's eye. The person needs to know that you really care for them and that you're doing this out of love. I usually tell people that, and it is true. When I have to go to their homes and confront something, I have to say, this is more uncomfortable for me than it is for you. It is easier for me to stay home and be liked. Tell them that the reason that you're risking this conversation is because you want the best for them. It is not wrong to lovingly help your brother to remove a harmful speck from their eye. We do this to our brothers and sisters. This is a very delicate, a very delicate operation. 
We are not to do this to unbelievers. God did not call us, calls us to, to judge the world. Obviously, we can recognize what is wrong in the world and what is sinful in the world, but we are not called to speak cleaning the world. The Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians, I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? And the answer is, it's not my business. Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. We are to do eye cleaning in house. We are to judge, we are to help, we are to clean the eyes of those inside the church who are sinning and call themselves Christians. Now, I know we all get afraid when we hear statements like this, but I hope that you can trust your brothers and sisters that they will do this out of love and that they will do it right. Paul does, he wrote to the Romans, I, myself, I'm convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct or to admonish one another. Now, what about evangelism? Can we point out sin Evangelism is not eye-cleaning. In evangelism, we let everybody know that we all are sinners, that we sin in many ways, actions, thoughts, attitudes, that we all are guilty before God. But you don't need to finger point a specific sins because people does not want us to repent from a specific sins, but from all our sins. People need to repent from living a life without God, without accepting Christ's sacrifice and lordship in their lives. The gospel requires repentance from all we have done and all who we are. Only the cleansing blood of Christ can forgive us from all our sins. The gospel is not dust speck cleaning. The gospel is a call to die to ourselves, not to reform our lives. If you have not repented, repented from living an independent life from God, if you have not died to yourself to follow Christ, spec cleaning is worthless. That's why attending church, religiosity, or morality are not enough. In regard to God, we all are dirty. We are dead, actually, in transgressions and sins. But the good news of the gospel is that the sinless Son of God the perfect one, die for us on the cross of Calvary that made God's forgiveness available to us out of grace. His forgiveness is free and available to you and me. Now coming back to removing your brother's specter. Jesus could have used an illustration of a splinter in a finger but he used an illustration of sawdust in the eye, which means it is very delicate. 
It requires the right attitude, the right words, humility, and words are so essential. Proverbs says, gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. How would you like to be treated when you sin? In the same way, we need to treat our brothers and, and sisters. We must be vigilant, as the Apostle Paul said. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave us. The Apostle Paul also tells us that we should speak truth in love. We also need to remember that how faulty our per perceptions are and how biases distort our own judgment. We often think that we understand what is going on when in reality many times we don't. We need to be willing to listen and believe innocence. Also be quick to forgive if the offense is against us. Remember that the Apostle Peter said that love covers multitude of sins. What if you do this eye-clearing perfectly? You are kind, you are loving, you use the right words, you are humble, you are considerate, would it go smoothly? And the answer is no. Have you tried to help your kids? I have. And no matter how gentle and careful and I want the best for them, they fight me. There is no guarantee, but don't be surprised if you get pushed back. It is okay. Now it is time for us to listen and to make a judgment if you need to stay the course or not. If you need to take their answer that there is no dust in their eyes or if they're just making excuses. You have to show empathy, be merciful, but if your brother has a speck in his eye, don't minimize sin, don't appease. Righteous judgment goes both ways. It does not condemn what is not sin, but it does not condone sin. We have to be caring, but we also need to be firm. Having too much empathy to justify sin, it will not go well. Amen said, before you judge someone, walk a mile in his shoes. If you still don't like them, at least you have their shoes and are a mile away. <laughs> the point is, if you are too lenient, they will take your shoes. Being tolerant, not making moral judgments, is the wisdom of the world. But for us, Jesus instructs us, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. So let's ask God to give us wisdom. Lord, we pray that you help us, Lord, first to look at our own hearts and then help our brothers and sisters who need help. Lord, we thank you that you have called us to the same family, to love each other, and will not do this to perfection. 
neither when we are the ones clearing the eye or when someone approaches to help us. But we pray that you give us the grace, the wisdom, and the right words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.